I'm Heather. And I'm Corey. And this is Movie Shelf, where we talk about movies, movie trivia, and just about anything related to pop culture. We're glad you're here. In today's episode, we're talking about Hunter Killer, the Gerard Butler submarine film. We've also invited a very special military expert, a.k.a. my dad. Ex-Special Forces Bob, joining us. Hello. And we'll also, of course, enjoy a side of bacon. All right. So, as we, before we really get into the film, do you want to at all give any explanation about you? Well, uh, I could talk for an hour or two. How long have I got? I'll, I'll give you a sentence. Okay. <laughs> uh, I... <laughs> I uh, I served in special forces for about fifteen of my twenty years in the army, and the other five I spent as a helicopter pilot. And that it is a major career in anybody's uh, military history. So mm-hmm. I've done a lot of stuff. That you have, and we'll talk more about some of that stuff. Um, Exciting stuff. Yes. So Hunter Killer was released, I think, close to the end of last year. And it's a movie we wanted to actually see in the theater, uh, but we never got a chance to. And in fact, we were really excited. We wanted to see it because we knew we already had our picks of the week because we wanted to talk about Crimson Tide and Half a Red October. But we missed it in the theater. So we, when we were, we saw it to be able to be rented, we got excited. So we decided we'll still do it as a movie shelf discussion. So this is actually our first official DVD movie shelf. Our, our first official rented movie. <laughs> so we've done the theater movies, we've done a Netflix movie, and now we've done a rented movie. Yes. And then, of course, we also got excited. Once we finished seeing it, we were like, we should show it to my dad and get his opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I appreciate that. <laughs> I was reading a review about it, and it was described as Fast and Furious meets Hunter Red October. And that probably does describe it pretty well. I felt like the, the film opens... To me, it opened very Jaws-like. You see the Russian submarine. It's being tailed stealthily by a the U.S. submarine. It's, again, very Jaws. I could have heard the, the music right <laughs> there. Uh, yes. And then there's an explosion, and both subs are taken down. So because of the mystery of this explosion and the political nature of the events, the um, or the attack, the USS Arkansas, the hunter-killer submarine, is sent in to check things out. And Gerard Butler is the skipper of this vessel. The newly acquired skipper who has not been a skipper before. Right. And he's not your typical skipper. No. He's also not an Annapolis man. Right. He, I think he worked his way up the ranks through every job you could have, I guess, on, on a submarine. On a submarine, pretty much, yeah. So he definitely knew the lay of the land. And um, so other people that are in the film, we have Common. And he, I believe, he was the rear admiral. And he, to me, he was running the command center of, over at the Department of Defense. And if I misuse any military words, just let me know. <laughs> and then Gary Oldman, he is a chief admiral, um, and he's the uh, or he's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. So he's reporting straight to the president. And this really was a wasted role for him. <laughs> he really annoyed us. And then you have Linda Cardellini. Um, she's an analyst for the NSA in the movie. And we have Toby Stevens, who is leading the SEAL team. 
I looked up a little bit about the film and I learned that the interior sets, they used blueprints from actual submarines to kind of design them all. So I thought that was kind of cool. They were, I know they were trying to aim for authenticity. And I know, I know this came about when like Top Gun was made and I guess Tony Scott, he had to get approval like from the, the Navy for pretty much anything that he, that they could do because they wanted, of course, the Navy to look good. And I'm assuming that was the same case even for Hunter Killer. Even if the films are not quite at the same caliber, I'm sure that they had the Navy approval and blessings on things. In fact, I also learned that Butler and the director, or they got to spend three days down, I think it was in the USS, or it was the Los Angeles class submarine, the Houston. So my military expert dad, what is a Los Angeles class submarine? A Los Angeles class submarine, and I've actually been on one at one point in my career. They call it a hunter killer because its primary purpose is to hunt enemy submarines. It's That's what it does. It has torpedoes, it has missiles, it has mines, and their only purpose in life is to hunt and track or have to sink enemy submarines. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're for. Okay. So... I think it was really cool that they got to spend three days down in the submarine to kind of get, you know, that feel. They requested to be able to do everything that they were going to be showcasing, for the most part, in the film. So it also inspired them to build their sets or some of their sets on a gimbal so that when the submarine in the movie dives, they are really diving or when it's... You know, coming back up, they're really coming up. And, and you're, you're seeing the realistic responses of them while the set is doing this. Right. Because I've never seen in a movie before when a submarine dives or rises that they're, you see they're like really leaning one way or the other. I thought that was a really nice realistic effect that you haven't seen before in a submarine movie. Mm-hmm. I thought it looked cool. I think you even, Daddy, you said that was cool. Yeah. When you watched it. I, I appreciated it. <laughs> you got plenty of critiques throughout the entire movie, but you did think that looked cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. Also, I learned that the um, Pentagon made ships and aircraft and personnel available to um, the film, you know, the for the film. So when they were shooting, I guess, some of the, you know, like the uh, the aircraft carrier and things like that, I assume those are the real actual aircraft carrier and the real actual airplanes. Um, so they said as long as it was basically that it could be a training exercise, <laughs> they could be used. Um, but they also had advisors available too to kind of help with some of the authenticity of sorts. Yeah. Okay, so now we can kind of go into the likes and dislikes. For me, if you go into the movie not taking it seriously, then it's pretty fun. What did you guys think about the film? Well, yeah, the in a way, the like and the dislike is kind of two sides of the same sword. Because, you know, you like the over-the-top action of it. But then that opposes the same dislike that is really not that authentic as far as what would re- realistically happen in that scenario. Mm-hmm. But it was fun to watch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was saying, like, beyond the plot, which is, you know, pretty preposterous. Yes. I would think. Um, it was kind of always enthralling to watch. I think I was always kind of in it and captivated. Well, my my my, uh, my thought of that the whole uh, plot was, uh, <laughs> it was audacious, uh, to say the least. Uh, they wanted to go in there and perform a mission that was essentially impossible. Yeah, I mean, the, I don't think the government would ever command one of the submarines to say, hey, go right up into the middle of Pollyanni base. <laughs> uh, it took... It was like there would have to be uh, the perfect storm of, of uh, things to happen 
that that just could never happen that would have to take place to make this mission possible. So they they had to go into this mission to try to to uh, perform this thing that's going to save the world essentially <laughs> and yeah. prevent and, World War Three. And with that in mind, it's 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 enough of an incentive for the submarine crew to know this is a do or die mission. They're either if they fail the mission, there's no point in surviving mm-hmm. long term anyway. Because there's going to be World War Three, so that's there's that. But even still, the the uh, the mission required them to do things that if you could roll dice and roll six aces in a row, six ones, that's as likely as completing this mission. And yeah. that's not likely. And essentially, that's what had to happen in order for them to pull this off. And so, that being the case, it was just fun to watch. You don't yeah. take it too seriously. But the, the actual skills that each person and the submarine had to have are real. Yeah. They, they, the, the submarine actually could do what it was required to do. And the men had the skills to do them. But I don't know if they could roll six ones in a row with dice to make it all happen is all. Well, yeah, that, yeah, that occurs in summary. What, what was your opinion of the actual SEAL, the, the Navy SEAL team? Well, they were pretty, they, as, as usual, they have all these skills. They can jump from planes. They they can swim. They can scuba dive. They know all the possible weapons in the world, and they are completely ruthless and bold. As are, as are guys in Special Forces, by the way. Of course. Uh, Green Berets are just as bold and skillful, uh, I have to put in there. And somewhat realistically, not without casualties. No, there's a there's going to be casualties. They had they had a uh, what would you call it a comic relief member of their team. Was that Marnelli? Marinelli. He couldn't do anything the right. Uh, <laughs> the he was a good sniper. Yeah, but they would have never ever sent him on a mission. <laughs> the new, he was the new guy. <laughs> no, they, they would have found somebody else. They wouldn't have sent him. What they call? What they call him? The the FNG Bob? Yeah, <laughs> of the team. Yeah, he would be the ten percent. <laughs> The 10% is the guy, there's always 10% that don't get the word. (laughs) That's him. (laughs) So one of the things that I did not like, and I already alluded to this, is the fact, um, and I think we're all all definitely in agreement, I think. I know know my dad and I are. Uh, But one thing I didn't like is the fact that you have Gary Oldman, who's an amazing actor that we adore in just about everything he does. And in this film, you're not going to like him. He's he's a total waste of, of oxygen. It was like, why did you have him? Why did you have this amazing actor playing this role? Or at least this role in this type of character for this role? I have an answer. It draws in more people to see the movie. That is true. I mean, <laughs> if you look at the movie poster, it's Gerard Butler and Gary Oldman. And it's, it's just kind of funny that, that Gary Oldman would be kind of the, the dominant poster image. Um, yeah. So they post him up to attract all the fans of Gary Oldman and only the disappoint all the fans of Gary Oldman and say, well, Al's always a role for him. Yeah, there was another character, and I don't know who the guy was, his, his name, but he was the XO of the ship. Oh, yeah. He was uh, another disappointment. He he uh, he was not true Navy. He was not <laughs> he was not emboldened at all. He was a whiny little twerp. And uh, no way that any commander would keep that guy more than, you know, a minute. He would got, get rid of that guy. But he was still in this submarine. And he was a bad taste in all of our mouths because mm-hmm. the XO does not question the captain in front of the crew. Correct. That was like the cardinal sin for any second officer to do. Yeah. In fact, you were telling us, I guess, a story about... What were you telling? It was about you kind of... You weren't being an XO, but... I was an XO. You were I wasn't on a submarine, though. Yeah. Not then, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I was an I was a XO of our team once in a, on a... 
in actually in Europe, uh, and we had a, our team sergeant was a temporary, and he was a fill-in, and he was a young guy that didn't know what he was really trying to do, and he was continually bad-mouthing and questioning our commander's behavior. And I had to uh, walk him around to the backside of a building and, told, and tell him to get his act together or I would get him, I would relieve him. And uh, the, the thing was, he was correct. The commander was not behaving properly. It's just wrong for him, this team sergeant, to, uh, to make those comments in front of the other men. Mm-hmm. It's just wrong. You just don't do that. And I, that, I had that experience once. It was a long time ago. <laughs> So it was almost like the scenario of the captain may be wrong, but the crew is going to go down with them? <laughs> well, up to a point. Up to a or, point. <laughs> or I guess, I guess someone needed to take the captain behind the behind the building and have a private conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be the EXO's job, but away from the rest of the I crew. I had conversations with the captain. <laughs> away from the crew, I would hope. Certainly. Yeah. Yes. So watching the film, I thought this was, it ultimately looked like a great commercial for the Navy because, you know, everything looked beautiful. You mentioned the tech and... Everything that you were watching the, the equipment doing or the vessels doing, it, it all looked good. It all looked great. Whether whether or not it was in a preposterous scenario, it all looked great. And I thought, you know, here you are, they're showcasing the SEALs, they're showcasing the submarines, they're showcasing the aircraft carriers and the pilots and, you know, all these different aspects. Um, yeah, but they also, they didn't actually attempt to try to get too technical for this movie. True. The submarine just kind of went wherever it had to go, and <laughs> even into the mud. <laughs> yeah, it, it went from here to there, and there was not a lot of technical detail. Mm-hmm. It and which is fine because you don't need to know how a submarine works and what the, each crew member does in order for it to get someplace. So it just appears here, or appears there, without getting a lot of detail. But I'm the kind of guy that loves detail, and so. Uh, any any Navy uh, veteran would point out all the things that either are not mentioned or possibly gotten wrong, only because it's a film. But they always do that. <laughs> you always complain about these films when they're not technically correct. Kind of like you watching anything with helicopters. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> a helicopter cannot do that. <laughs> I did have a problem with the SEALs teams <laughs> jumping into the water without wearing their fins. <laughs> I said they would never do that. <laughs> all right, so in the movie... Coins were definitely emphasized. You mean challenge and, coins? Yes, yeah. challenge coins were definitely emphasized and highly regarded. I know that you highly regard your challenge coins. In fact, you gifted all of us with our own copy of your challenge coin that we, of course, you know, highly regard. But can you give us a little bit more detail about what are the challenge coins and and how did you feel how they were portrayed in the film? Well, in the film, the uh, the chief of the boat, which they affectionately call Cobb, uh, That's offered. That's not what that means. You didn't know? <laughs> well, I got the Webs. Like, the Webs is the weapons guy. And the Although chief I... of the boat is a senior enlisted man. He's a master chief, okay? Okay. And they call him Cobb. That's not his name. That's his mm-hmm. position. And so he, he finds the new commander, and he hands him the ship's coin. And he says, uh, we don't have too many of these right now. We, we've kind of run low, but you need, you're the commander. You need this coin. And any other commander would have uh, been happy to have it, except this one was odd. This Gerard Butler was, <laughs> he had some kind of a chip on his shoulder or some quirky problem, so he wouldn't accept it. Well, the, the call was offering him his own coin. That's true, but that's still anyway. It was an honor to, and he and anyone else should have taken it. And so I mentioned 
uh, I've told uh, Heather many times about special operations challenge coins were basically invented by the 10th Special Forces Group back around 1969-70. Prior to that, that none existed. In any in, aspect, in any right? in, in any, any place in the uh, in the in, in the military. Mm-hmm. The 10th Special Forces Group invented the first one. It was either 69 or 70. I got my first one in 1972 in January 72, and I had never seen one or heard of one before, and I didn't understand the purpose. And it turns out the purpose of them is so you can drink more beer. <laughs> uh, you slam the coin down, and everybody who has a coin slams theirs down, except for the guy that didn't have one or didn't bring one. And he has to buy everybody a beer. Mm-hmm. If you slam your coin down and everybody has one, the person that slams it down has to buy everybody else a beer. So either way, you get a beer. And I think this was even slightly referenced in the movie because the captain said when he turned down the coin, he said, I don't think I'll be buying anybody drinks on this mission. Mm-hmm. That's true. So. Uh, so the coins kind of started happening not more than a year or so before I got my first one. And I went through the military for the next five or six years, never seeing anybody else having a coin. And then they started to show up in uh, other groups, the uh, Fifth Special Forces Group got one, and the Seventh got one, and the the First Special Forces Group got one, and then the Rangers got one. Hmm. And pretty soon, um, I suppose somewhere along the way, the SEALs got one. But when I was training with SEALs in 73, they didn't have one yet. They certainly they didn't have one. So uh, it became something of a fad that uh, within 10 years after... They were first invented by the 10th Special Forces. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost every military unit had one. And today, they're as common as, you know, as bottle caps. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I know that, you know, but even like JRDC groups do coins or, you know, like in, even in high school, they're kind of yeah. gifted a coin. The, the first one was from the 10th Special Forces group. Mm-hmm. But I do know that in the movie, Gerard Butler, he held on to, his, well, so he sort of held on to his original coin, I guess, Um because he said it was very special and meaningful to him, his the Wichita. So I don't know if that was a, no, that's a, a real a nice aside. That, that actually was interesting. I just thought he was rude to the cop <laughs> for not taking the coin that was offered to him. Yeah. I would have never done that. I guess he thought by taking another one, it would uh, kind of devalue the sentiment of the one that he always You can never have too many coins. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I always thought it was interesting. I'm kind of derailing a little bit. I think the first time I ever really learned about the coins was because my brother was driving your truck that had your, your sticker, your special forces sticker on it. Yeah. And he was somewhere, I guess, I guess he was just at a bar and some guy like slams down a coin in front of him, expecting him to pull out a coin too. And he's, and that's how he learned about the coins. He was like, Oh, so I had well, to go get him one. Yeah. <laughs> Since he's I driving gave, around. I gave him representing. He had my, I gave him my truck and it had my uh, logo on the window and, and, uh, he got coin checked. <laughs> by somebody else who thought that he was. Yeah. He had to, yeah. yeah. I think he had to buy a beer. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing that I thought you pointed out with regard to the movie is that you kind of view this as a superhero movie without them having to be superhuman, like with superhuman powers and things like that. Yeah. So tell me more about that. I, I'm really, I, this, I, I'm kind of, um, I like this kind of a thought because you have superheroes. Somebody can leap a tall building or they can... Laser eyes. He can explode things with his brain or he can see through whatever. And then you have real people Mm -hmm. who work hard. I mean, they go through the most unbelievable training that is imaginable. I mean, just normal human beings, just guys. And I guess these days, gals too. (laughs) Uh, G.I. Jane. uh, Just going through the worst possible training in the world. Mm Mm-hmm. 
to get to become a member of a SEAL team or a special forces team or a ranger unit. And they have great skills and they've been trained to think smart. And you can't even get into these units without having a high IQ in the first place. You've got to be smart just to get in, just to be considered. These are, these are, in my opinion, true superheroes, Mm -hmm. but they're given no special uh, supernatural skills. They're just things that they have been trained to hone. It's like watching the Olympics and watching the skiers and the gymnasts that can do things that seem impossible, but they're just human beings. They're just regular people. They're not Mm -hmm. super. And that's what I like about movies that deal with men of uh, extra special motivation and training to get things accomplished that uh, you don't need a superhero when you just need a well-trained soldier. Yeah. They're, they're placed in super situations and are expected to yeah. succeed. That's my uh, my little two cents. <laughs> <laughs> Although you do like Superman. I do. I look, well, I grew old up with Old school him. Superman. Yeah, old school. Old Clark Kent Superman. Clark Kent without a chip on his shoulder. (laughs) So one thing I also thought was really cool with the film, and I kind of, I think, alluded to this with the way I felt how it opened. It had a Jaws kind of feel to me. Because there was kind of this continual foreboding of terror, especially when you listen to, like, all the the, the, the sirens kind of going on and the, the bleeps of the radar and the sonar and things like that. I liked that feel, I guess. Um, I thought they did a good job on portraying the uneasiness that they were feeling because they can't see. I know you love the fact that when they said they're, you know, like, right above us and they yeah. look up. Yeah, everybody looks up like, what are they going to say? They're just going to look at the ceiling of the... Of the you of know, the sometimes you just focus <laughs> on a direction and even though you might not be able to see through... Um, but I thought they did a really good job, and I think that's part of why you kind of stuck with the, the film. And you stuck with, even though, again, the plot was just kind of, whoa, out there. You say, you know, Daddy, that, you know, they would have had to roll all ones for all these amazing things to happen. Mm-hmm. And then I think there's also, like, you'd have to roll all whatever not would be good just to have all these weird things happen too so again going back to your perfect storm but I think that they did a really good job on kind of continuing that terror well yeah I mean there is definitely a lot of genuine intense edge on your of your seat moments you're there, you're like, and you're like tensing up, hoping that everything's going to go right. You know? there, yes, I think there was a moment where you did like jump out of your seat a bit, right? Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> along with along with our, my mom, she <laughs> well, it didn't take much for mom. Yeah. All right, you guys, what's the verdict? Does it make the movie shelf or not? I'm gonna. I'm gonna pass on this going on the shelf. Now, I will admit, when I'm on the couch looking for something to watch, if it's on HBO or something, I'm definitely going to turn to it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's it's definitely very entertaining, but when it comes to a military summary movie, I already got a few more that are more favorites of mine that are on the shelf that'll never be replaced by another summary movie, I think. Not on the shelf, but definitely, definitely worth a catch, if you're able to. Well, this, I, I've mentioned, I think Corey mentioned once before that I, for years, have this rating system. I have, yes. I call everything either A or B, and then I, Corey modified it by giving it an A or B plus or B. <laughs> well, and then there's C, which is, well, you, you wish you'd never seen in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Now, an A is like you'd watch it over A and is over. a movie I absolutely thought was great, and I want to see it again, and I may watch it a dozen times, you know, Hunt for Red October, for instance, is like that. Shawshank Redemption is an, yeah. an A movie for me. I watch it over and over again. A B is a movie that I actually enjoy, but I don't really want to see it again. And I don't think I'd probably buy it. 
but I would recommend that you go see it. So mm-hmm. for me, this is a, a solid B. A B is a B plus. I think from Corey says it's it's like a B, but you might actually want to see it again. Maybe give it enough time. Yeah. That's kind of a B plus. I imagine a B minus movie for you would be like a million dollar baby. It's worth seeing once, but you you, you really don't. I don't know. You want, might regret that one. You don't want to see it again. <laughs> But, but you still feel it was worth watching at least once. Yeah. I don't know. I thought that one made you mad. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to. I, I enjoyed it, but I don't ever want to see yeah. it again. That's a B minus. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So I think I'm. I think we're all kind of on the same page. My um, it does not make the movie shelf for me. However, I was absolutely entertained. Again, I went in already not wanting to take it seriously. So you have to kind of keep that mindset. And I was engaged, you know, the whole time. I'm sure if it's on TV because there is a lot of eye candy to it, and it's it's eye candy. Candy that I think is realistic eye candy, I hope. You know, again, the things you were saying that you're that you're watching the sub do or watching all the things happen are real things that can happen. It just, you know, they usually wouldn't all happen all at once. And um, they, they wouldn't happen in this super incredible circumstance right. that they were put in. <laughs> but still, so it was cool to watch. So again, if it's probably like on TV, you know, I'm sure it'll be flipped to and to, you know, kind of catch some of those scenes again, perhaps. But yeah, it's not make this movie shelf. I do recommend it if, you know, for anybody that likes those types of films all right so now it is time for our picks of the week so my pick of the week is crimson tide which i do kind of find funny because i know what Corey's pick of the week is going to be and before he saw crimson tide he was quick to tell me he did not want to see this movie he did not think it all compare <laughs> to what his pick of the week is and then I showed it to him, and again, this is like 10 years ago, probably, that I finally got to show it to him, and he was just, you know, enthralled with it. I was like, how in the world can you not like Crimson Tide? It is Gene Hackman and Denzel Washington in a sub, arguing, both are right, both are wrong, who knows, you know, all this crazy and, stuff. And a slew of, of other a, a, uh, actors as well in the movie. Yeah, um, uh, Vigo Mortensen, he's yeah. in it. He's the Webs guy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think until listening in Hunter Keller, I think I thought his name was Webs. Um, but when I heard a Webs guy in the Hunter Keller, I was like, oh, he's the weapons guy. Uh, in fact, in Hunter Keller, I thought they completely stole a scene from Crimson Tide with the, uh, who was it? It was the, the Russian destroyer captain. Like That scene was totally from Crimson Tide with what he was trying to get the guy to fire the missile or the torpedo or something. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so this is, and I, you know, aside from the fact it's Gene Hackman and Denzel Washington on his sub, I think Denzel is the new XO to Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman is a very experienced captain. Um, I mean, his dog is even with him, and, you know, everyone respects him, loves him, and Denzel's kind of the new guy. And, and you also find out what happens to an XO when he... When he... <laughs> tries to uh, question the captain. Yeah. In front of the crew. You, you, you only do it once on right. Gene Hackman. <laughs> Never you do it again. So, Which but is correct. Ultimately, everything kind of leads to uh, kind of like a mutiny, I guess. But I guess the issue is that they receive orders, but they're only partially given. And so the big question is, do we... Go with the first order, which or, could cause, you know, World War Three, which I think is ironic because I think they were talking about that for Hunter Killer, too. Like, we don't want to cause World War Three, Or do we 
try to wait and get clarification on the new order that we didn't get all the way. In some cases, do we risk our lives to try and confirm these second yeah. orders? <laughs> so it's, I think for the most part, the movie is a dialogue movie. And you've heard me talk about this before, that I really like dialogue movies more so than the action part of the film. I think the, the plot and the dialogue, of course, are the stronger aspects. Um, so if you want to see... Denzel Washington, go at it with Gene Hackman. Check out Crimson Tide. So, Corey, what's your pick of the week? Oh, my pick of the week is a childhood favorite that has (laughs) always been a favorite, which is The Hunt Fred October, Sean Connery. Can't beat it. And that's Sam Neill's in there, too, and Alec Baldwin. Probably my first movie of seeing Sam Neill in before the more popular, you know, Jurassic Parks and so forth, another thing that he's been in. And this is all ultimately... Tim Curry, also one of my favorite roles for him. Although he he does a lot of quirky roles throughout his life, but he is definitely a notable one there. Yeah, he is... I I do really like Tim Curry. Can I say something about the Hunt for Red October? Please. Uh, In 1986, I was at Fort Huachuca, Arizona, going through the Special Forces Warrant Officer Intelligence Advanced Course. And... We had uh, we were taking classes on all sorts of things that are classified. And when we were having classifying classes, we could take notes all we wanted to, but at the end of the day, we'd have to turn all of our notes in because we couldn't have them because it was classified. To who? To Back to the instructors. Okay. We couldn't leave the, the building with them. And so we were complaining about that, and the instructor said, I tell you what, go buy a copy of this new book. It's just out. It's called The Hunt for Red October. And everything we're discussing in here is in that book, and it's correct, and it's mm-hmm. scary. And we all said, really? So immediately we went down to the bookstore and bought it. I bought one, and I started reading, and I said, good grief. We're- no, 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 hold on. So are you telling me that that is a true movie? No, not the movie. No, it's a book. The technology was correct. Oh, okay. Every Everything that we couldn't take notes on or keep... <laughs> We could read about it and the capabilities of it and what its name was, the true nomenclature. Everything about that as listed is correct. That's what was weird. Mm-hmm. Clancy nailed it. And I don't know how he did it, but he did. So there there are summaries that exist that has a... Well, no. Jet I'm talking about the okay. Americans. Okay. All the things that the Americans were doing was real. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Thank you. So... And True story. The Hunt for Rod October, it's also part of the um, the Jack Ryan series, right? Yes. So, and, um, Alec Baldwin is Jack Ryan. Right. Yes. It was the first one. But yeah, so in that one, the plot is, of course, like Sean Connery, he's, they're wanting to... They uh, defect. Defect. They wanted to defect <laughs> from the Soviet Union and take their submarine with them. Yeah. Him and his officers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Scott Glenn is the captain of the USS Dallas, uh-huh. I believe. Another hunter killer submarine. How did they come up with the submarine names? Like they're all cities, right? Well, well the, the, no. when they yes, when they started no. coming up with the first hunter killer designated uh, sub, it was the Los Angeles, named mm-hmm. after a city, and so it just kind of started a tradition. Like I told you, I'd been on one. Mm-hmm. I was on the Boston. It's another city, right? Yeah. So well, and I know that like Gerard Butler and um, the director, they were on the Houston for a little bit. Yeah. To prep for and the, the one that sank, apparently, that he had a coin for was the, Wichita, was the Wichita. Oh, yeah, the Wichita. And that, that we're talking in the Hunter Killer movie. Mm-hmm. All right. Any other final words about the Hunter Red October? Why Why is it so great to you? Well, yeah, I'm sure I saw it in the time of my life where, you know, great movies were very, very impressionable on me. Mm-hmm. 
in that time period. And I don't it, think I mean, you were as young as you thought you were. Because <laughs> uh, I remember my parents went to see it, and I think it's rated R, so I was not allowed to see it. I guess. I don't know. I mean, that never really stopped you for too I don't know why. Maybe you just thought I would be bored. Um, Maybe that's what it was. Maybe you thought I would be bored. I mean, yeah, not young, but uh, uh, probably a freshman in high school, probably. I'm guessing. That, so. that feels better. Because you know. Kyle and I, we went to go see Taddy's Dying Who's Caught the Will <laughs> while they ran out for October. <laughs> hmm, not familiar with but that I'm one. But assuming, I'm assuming, me, I, I guess I thought it was the rating, but maybe you just thought I'd be bored in it or something. Probably. I don't know. Because I, I would have been, like, in elementary or something. In that movie, though, uh, Alec Baldwin does do a very good impersonation of Sean Connery. I thought so, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, he is, he is pretty good with some, his impersonations. All right. So what is your pick of the week? Okay. Well, you had asked me to come up with the submarine movies, and there's, there's so many of them. Mm-hmm. But there aren't really very many good ones uh, <laughs> recently. And uh, I had several to pick from, but I went back to one that I liked when I was, uh, it was a 50s movie called Mm -hmm. uh, Enemy Below with Robert Mitchum and Kurt Juergens. And Robert Mitchum is the, it's a World War II movie. It's in color and it's full of action and suspense and and good acting and very technical. Mm -hmm. Everything that I like, you know. (laughs) And a lot of emotion and a lot of um, uh, passion for being the uh, being the best at what you do, mm-hmm. but the the plot is that uh, Mitchum is the captain of a destroyer, and the primary purpose for the destroyers in World War II on the in the Atlantic was to escort convoys across the Atlantic and and seek out and find U-boats. So could we say that to seek out convoys that are not? No, they're not seeking. Very, they're they're protecting convoys. Well, yeah, protecting convoys that they can't defend themselves. No, they can't defend as well. Yeah. They can't defend themselves at all. Cargo ship transports. Yeah, and, and there was. Yeah. So they're doing this, and they come upon a submarine that's taking out the some cargo ships, and their job is to sink it. And so this the cargo the, the submarine is captained by a, a German actor named Kurt Jurgens, and he's a very famous actor of that era, uh, and he's made lots of films. But and this is one of his best. So the the thing I like about the movie is you see uh, it, the enemy below is going to be the submarine, but you get to be in the submarine hearing these German sailors do what they do, and you start being just as involved with them. They're not they're not these evil bad guys anymore. They're just sailors trying to do their job. Right. And on up top, you have these sailors trying to do their job. They're both trying to kill each other. And you, you, uh, the at, at, at the end, you don't really want either one of them to lose. And so, how does this resolve itself? Because you start rooting for both crews to survive, mm-hmm. and and yet you can't allow that because they're the the submarine's mission is to go out and sink defenseless ships. So you've got to resolve this. So it's a lot of. Uh, Attention, and it's well done. And I would recommend that you get it if you ever have a chance to see it on AMC or something like that. Mm-hmm. You go ahead and check it out. So the enemy below, enemy below, from the fifties. Yeah, it's for the fifty-seven. Fifty-seven. Yeah, and I will try and say that I do appreciate movies like you were saying where the enemy is not invisible. Yeah. You know, you have so many movies where the enemy is this unseen, oh, where is he, and, you know, what is the type of thing. But here you, you get equal exposure to both sides, and yeah. you, you appreciate both sides. You, you appreciate where the both like got to the from, point where to, to the, the submarine captain realized that he was dealing with an exceptional 
destroyer commander, and the destroyer commander realized he was dealing with an exceptional submarine captain. They realized that there's more to these people than you you could imagine, mm. and uh, so it was cat and mouse mm. to the very end. All right, it is now time for a side of bacon. Mmm, bacon. From our last episode, we challenged you to come up with a connection to from Sean Astin to John Hurd. And so, I've now heard of that guy. So, I don't know, you know, Daddy, if you've been able to come up with a connection. No, not really. But Corey and I, we have a connection. I think we both have it in, like, two movies, right? Yeah. Now, this is another one where... I, w- I found it a little difficult. I f- you know, you know, Sean Astin's been in you know a good amount of movies, and John Hurd, he's been in a handful of movies. Um, I think when I was I was kind of looking him up a little bit just to give me a little bit of help. Yeah, I, I did do a little bit of browsing on IMDb myself on this one. But I, I think I saw lots of TV appearances, and I was like, oh yeah, he has been in lots <laughs> of like TV appearances lately. But he's never usually. I don't think he's ever really been like the lead person in any of the movies that he's been in that I that I recognized. Yeah. So anyway, so I was I was disappointed with my connection. So I'll go first, and that's only because I I used a movie that I don't like. So I have John Hurd to Denzel Washington in The Pelican Brief, which is actually a movie like one of my favorite movies. And how much screen time does John Hurd have in that movie? Very little. (laughs) It's it's important. But he's an important person. (laughs) That has how many seconds? more than seconds. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, he has a crucial role. Does he have a minute of screen time? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He has a whole phone conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so, you have John Hurd to Denzel Washington in The Pelican Brief. Again, one of my favorite movies. And then Denzel Washington to Sean Astin in Courage Under Fire, a movie I did not like. But there it is in two movies. So what do you gotcha. have, Corey? Okay, so I have John Hurd to Neil McDonald. Okay. Is it, am I pronouncing that right? You know what I'm talking about. I think that's right. Okay. And The Guardian with Kevin Costner, mm-hmm. with the uh, the Coast Guards. And I have Neil McDonald to Sean Ashton in a movie that I'm sure is underneath everybody's radar mm-hmm. called Forever Strong. Which, if you haven't seen it, I suggest give it's it a, a look. One. And, yeah. It's a feel-good movie. Especially if you like rugby. We showed it to you once. I don't know if you remember the, the rugby film we... He was very tired, and he was already ready to fall asleep when showing him the loot. Yeah. I don't like either one of your connections. I'm going to work on my own, and I'll tell you what it is next right. week. You'll start, you'll but I can't be, I can't top them right now, but I can feel there's got to be a better one than those two. Although, I do like the Neil McDonald guy, or McDonough. I forgot how to pronounce his name. But. Yeah, well, one thing interesting about that actor is that uh, he, he uh, appears in, you know, he's in plenty of movies. He actually was in that, I've never seen a single episode, but he was in the series called Desperate Housewives. And he refuses to kiss another actress for a movie because he does not want to be disrespectful to his wife. <laughs> and it's like, man, that, 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 that has to be kind of hard to pull off. Being a successful actor in Hollywood with the barrier, I will not kiss or do anything more than that with mm-hmm. another actor, you know. Yeah. But so uh, respect to him for, you know, staying true to his guns on that. And I showed my dad his picture, so he definitely knows who he yeah, is he's now. Just, he's got Neil McDonough. Very think. bright, blonde, white hair. Oh, yes. yes. Oh, yeah. He was in the, the Dum Dum. He was Dum Dum Dugan. <laughs> um, okay. For this week's side of bacon... We figured our military expert would let you kick it off. I will forgo my pick this week. Okay. Well, then, then I, I'm going to go from 
1957 film and pick Robert Mitchum. Okay. So you're going to have to deal with that. Now, you said you were going to pick a guy that, that today's younger generation would know. And I'm going to just let you know that he has made a movie that at least uh, has like, actors who are currently, currently acting in today. And so I was going to go with Denzel Washington since he kind of kept on popping up. He was in my pick of the week and he was in my... Baking connection from last time, so I figured it didn't uh, I Washington. I think we're guaranteed that Mitchum and <laughs> Washington will not have been in the same movie together. Probably not. Probably not. So we have Robert Mitchum to Denzel Washington. Thanks for listening to Movie Shelf. If you would, hit that subscribe button and uh, share us with your friends. And if you're listening on your Apple devices, leave a comment and uh, tell us what you think about us. And I'd like to extend a special thanks to our military expert, Bob, for joining us today. Glad to be here and glad I was invited. Yeah. And we'll catch you next time. Bye, you guys. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>